Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast, and we've got a Big Ten battle to preview. The Ohio State Buckeyes rank second in the college football playoff rankings, hosting Penn State, who gets a bump up to number eight Saturday Noon kickoff in Columbus. Uh, a lot of college football dignitaries making their way to this game. Uh, it is the destination for a lot of broadcast networks. Game will be on Fox, but uh, ESPN Game Day will be there as well. Lines 24-7 will be there, and, and we'll break this down, give you our full preview and predictions on our second episode of the week. But first, uh, Sean, we'll get into some college football playoff ranking conversations. Uh, we've got some recruiting stuff to circle back to from last weekend. The latest news and notes from the Nittany Lions media availability thus far this week. And an awesome interview with Patrick Murphy, uh, who covers the Buckeyes for 24-7 Sports. He spent a lot of time with us, breaking down all three phases of this Ohio State team, what it has done to get to this point, be viewed as such a, a, conf- a conference and national title contender, and additionally, maybe what the Buckeyes have yet to prove. Uh, so that's coming later from Patrick here on the episode. Yep, but first we'll start with college football playoff, Penn State number 8. An interesting slot because Oklahoma did not jump them after their impressive comeback win over Baylor. Now, Oklahoma still has TCU, Oklahoma State, and the Big Ten, excuse me, Big 12 title game left. So that's probably going to take care of itself. And, you know, from Penn State's standpoint, that's probably not the team that you're paying the most attention to. Minnesota slips, slips to number 10 despite the, the head-to-head win over Penn State. This is one of those ones that sort of made waves throughout the, the country because you're talking about all the uh, different resumes and comparisons, and you, and you think head-to-head takes credence, especially because you've got Wisconsin still over Michigan at this time, basically, uh, based seemingly on head-to-head. Uh, I'm not surprised. I, I said it before. I think Penn State would be favored on a neutral ground with Minnesota. Minnesota, obviously, I don't think has the clout that Penn State has to carry it to, to the higher ranking at this point. But, you know, if you're the Gophers, you're probably a little bit salty about that one, and and rightfully so. That's another situation I see playing itself out, especially with uh, the Wisconsin-Minnesota game next weekend. That's, uh, I guess, de facto Big Ten West championship game, and we'll see what happens from there because that one's got – uh, Rose Bowl implications. That one's got uh, some some things that could shake up Penn State's January destination as well. In theory, the the playoff committee is supposed to be following uh, protocol with with four particular criteria uh, when they compare these teams. Uh, conference championships won. Obviously, that's yet to be determined. Strength of schedule, head to head competition, and then outcomes against common opponents. I think strength of schedule uh, carries Penn State. And the conversation they had with the committee chair last night. Uh, they are impressed by Penn State and what they've gone, th- you know, gone through and been able to accomplish against what they've faced. This will be the fifth time in six weeks that they faced an opponent in the top twenty-five Associated Press poll. Uh, that Pittsburgh win back in September, looking pretty good these days, a seven and three record. That's a nice non-conference uh, win over the Panthers, and I think they compare that up to Minnesota. Not surprised. I think what I was more surprised about, I was maybe anticipating an AP poll equ- uh, equation where on Sunday afternoon we saw Oklahoma leapfrog Penn State. 
and Penn State remain in the same spot because they slid ahead of Minnesota. Instead, Minnesota drops. Oklahoma does not jump Penn State, uh, and Penn State sits at number eight, a one-spot improvement over last week. Yeah, and I think that Oklahoma stuff, as I said, is going to take care of itself. I think, I guess, everybody's going to really. I mean, with with all that said, you know, it really doesn't matter where Penn State sits right now because they're going to Ohio State this weekend. Ohio State, of course, heavily favored in this game. Um, if Penn State does happen to take care of business, I mean, they're they're obviously going to jump right back up into the fray. I mean, you're going to put them in the top five basically if they if they win this game. So a lot of football left to be played. You got Penn State at Ohio State. Oregon and Utah probably going to win out and meet in the Pac-12 title game. LSU should win out and play Georgia in the, in the SEC championship game. Clemson better win out uh, just based on their schedule. Uh, Alabama, Auburn is going to be big as it is every year. If Alabama wins that game, are they in even without Tua? Uh, there's so many subplots and storylines here, but I think from the Penn State perspective, that five-game stretch, I mean, you went 4-1. and one. Uh, Obviously, you'd like to have that win against Minnesota, but I don't think, you know, we, we didn't draw that five-game stretch up as, as being as brutal as it was. Um, you know, you, you talked about the three-game stretch where you go Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State. Then all of a sudden, Minnesota jumps it out, and they're a top-10 team. Indiana, pretty good team. I mean, I, I went back and looked at that, and there's, you know, Indiana's got a lot going for it right now. They're not quite there, um, and you're not going to get the uh, the sexy points off of that one. Um, but that's 4-1 uh, and one over that stretch. you got to appreciate where you're at if you're Penn State right now. There's no doubt about that, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how things are handled um, w- with the way Alabama is viewed. I think it's very interesting, and Georgia, I mean, again, they're number four. They're still number four on the inside of the playoff picture. They've obviously got to prepare to expectedly encounter LSU in the SEC championship game, assuming Georgia handles its business to that point. Uh, a win there would, would shake things up, but that loss to South Carolina to me still stands out as among the worst in the country, especially in this conversation. The Gamecocks have gone in one and four since they beat Georgia in Athens and that one victory coming against Vanderbilt. So it's not like uh, you've seen uh, South Carolina look like some ascending program and that win against Georgia was a part of that. They're actually questioning whether they want to move forward with current leadership. So yeah, curious to see how that happens. That's a mess right now down there. I mean, you're talking (laughs) about vote of confidence versus uh, uh we'll, we'll check it out after the season and see what's up but uh South Carolina right now a bit of a mess we'll see what happens I'm not a big must champ guy so if they moved on I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world but uh that program man they, they just seem to keep uh punching themselves in the face yeah, hypothetically Sean and and if Penn State were to win in Columbus in, in any fashion they're gonna jump a lot would they get over Alabama by virtue of that, or would they have to go on to the Big Ten Championship game, win that, and then leapfrog the Crimson Tide? So curious about how Alabama's going to get treated by this committee, because unless something drastic changes, and, and I don't think it will or can, they're going to be sitting at home that first week of December without Tua involved. If they beat Auburn, they'll have that one loss at home against the top-ranked team in the country. It's just it, There's a lot to digest for that, and, and, and Ohio State... Penn State, the Pac-12 champions, Oklahoma. Uh, We'll see. It's going to sort itself out. And as we said, Penn State loses this game. We can stop talking about the college football playoff altogether. Uh, And if they win this game, then it is going to be at the forefront of the conversation regarding the Nittany Lions from here uh, through the first weekend of December. Oh, no doubt about it. But they will go bowling regardless. Of course, uh, with nine wins, they're already there. Um, 10 and 2 might not get it done for New Year's 6 this year, which is really interesting considering where, you know, we were talking last year about a possible 9 and 3 bid. So, 
crazy how these things work uh, with the tie-ins and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Rose is still a possibility. I mean, basically, if, if you want Rose, you want Wisconsin to beat uh, Minnesota next weekend, and you want uh, whoever, I guess, Wisconsin will go to the Big Ten title game, Ohio State or Penn State would, you know, I, I, in, in this hypothetical, Penn State loses in Columbus. So let's just go with that. Um, and then you want Wisconsin to lose. That you, that way you get three losses. So 10-2 and two can still get you into the Rose Bowl. Uh, Orange Bowl still got an at-large possibility. Maybe that one's not looking as great with the, the way that the SEC is looking right now. Cotton Bowl still out there. I, it's funny that the, the Outback Bowl, and this is a, a something we joked about earlier this season, how Penn State had blown right past the Outback Bowl. Seems like a stronger possibility than anything else with with them going to the Citrus Bowl last year. So you get to the Outback Bowl, you maybe draw in a, a Texas A&M or something like that, one of those uh, top 25 SEC teams, maybe a Florida, um, which actually would be a, a pretty good a pretty good game. Um, so it's it's crazy how to see how this one's going to fall because in past years, when you're thinking 10-2, and two, you're thinking – uh, that's a lock for a New Year's Six Bowl, and then all of a sudden you've got probably nine and three Michigan or or ten and three Wisconsin, or it's just uh, there's a lot at the very top of that conference. There's a lot at the very bottom of that conference, and there's a lot to be shaken out from the bowl picture. And depending how the dust settles in Columbus on Saturday, we could be having bowl games on the brain uh, by Saturday evening and trying to figure out how and where and, and, and planning destinations. It's not an easy thing to coordinate travel from a reporter's end, especially when you get near Christmas time. So I know Penn State fans, though, will be happy to table that discussion until we need to have it, if we need to have it, if the Nittany Lions were to lose. But back here in Happy Valley, Sean, this team is 9-1. and one. They've got everything in front of them, uh, you know, escaping uh, a Scare from Indiana with that late touchdown drive. We broke down the, the, that matchup quite a bit on our post game show from Beaver Stadium on Saturday night. If you missed that one, folks. Uh, but but here, you know, the, the big question is what is the availability going to be for a couple standout players? Uh, one Noah Kane. It's been a few weeks. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But KJ Hamler. Last year, almost 200 all-purpose yards against Ohio State. He's a top-five performer across the receiving stat sheet in Big Ten football competition. Uh, But as of this point, a few hours before we get our first peek at practice since the Indiana game, we just don't know if he's going to get cleared by the medical staff. Yeah, that's all on the medical staff right now. James Franklin said that on Tuesday. He also slipped in a little jab saying he's never cleared a player to play uh, based off the lawsuit that happened this summer. But yeah, I mean, KJ Hamler, is a, he's a game changer. He's a, he's a line mover for when you're talking about uh, uh, betting on this game. And, you know, if you don't have him, we saw what Penn State struggled to do. I mean, you're not going to run the ball uh, against Ohio State like uh, they were able to do against Indiana over the last three quarters last week. So you've got to have something. You've got to have, uh, you know, a, a different receiving threat there. KJ Hamler leads the team in targets, I think, by far. Um, you know, it's it, it's Hamler, Frymuth, and then everyone else. You take him out of the equation, all of a sudden, that's that's scary, especially going to a place like the Horseshoe. And additionally, you take him off of special teams. Look, you lose a playmaker on special teams in that regard, but you also, there's a little bit of concern. I mean, all due respect to Jahan Dotson, maybe Journey Brown at kickoff. Uh, you know, those guys have not racked up the reps. It's been the KJ Hamler show on special teams, and you'd hate to get yourself in a spot where, where maybe a guy's, uh, uh, you know, a little got a little bit of a cold feet situation as a return man just because he hasn't had those opportunities in the game. We know KJ Hamler does a lot for this team. Franklin going on record earlier this season saying 12 touches a game is the goal, and, and, and very well documented how close he and Sean Clifford are. Uh, we'll see where he is. By the way, Sean Clifford on the call this week, Sean, confirming uh, Hamler ran a 4-2-7 40-yard dash. So uh, pretty impressive, not necessarily surprising, but a little bit of confirmation there regarding his top target. Speaking of receivers, 
Look, it's been KJ Hamler getting a ton of work. Jahan Dotson flashing in moments when he gets his opportunities. Beyond that, it has been a mix of, you could say, disappointing, uh, unpredictable. Who's going to be there? We saw Dancha Senna get the start last week. And, and, and based on the depth chart coming into this week, James Franklin did not really get down to details. Uh, I, I don't think we really expected him to at the press conference. Uh, but there has been a bit of a shakeup, it would appear, in terms of how they're going to implement these receivers. Yeah, uh, Justin Shorter moved over on the official depth chart to the Z behind uh, Jahan Dotson. That's interesting to me because, of course, Dotson, I think, is your your next guy up in the slot. We saw Matt, Matt Hippenhammer play there uh, when, when KJ Handler went out, but Dotson was the guy they turned to right away, and I think Dotson's your most effective playmaker in there. So you move Shorter over there, um, maybe try and get him some look, uh, a, a few more looks, and I know he was... Very, very bad against Minnesota. That's not anything that you can sugarcoat. But, you know, that's, uh, I think, recency bias comes into play here. Matt Kippenhammer probably had a worse resume coming into uh, the weekend for, for its big body of work. So I think it's kind of a Hippenhammer against Shorter when you're talking about backups there. Um, but I mean, you, you, maybe this is just something, you know, changes of scenery have done some, some good things for some people in the past. You're not getting anything out of that X receiver spot anyway. So maybe you switch dots or excuse me, shorter over there, see what you can do. I, I don't know how this is going to cut into Dotson's reps or whether they'll move other guys around. I do expect, you know, even if Hamler is, is full go, I do expect Penn state to go with some 12, uh, a little bit more 12 personnel play two tight ends, maybe keep it a little bit tighter, try and get the running game going through that, try and get some some short stuff working to Pat Frymuth, Nick Bowers. Um, but yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how Penn State utilizes him because you know this season, for the most part, has been a wash for Shorter. And then when he's gotten those chances uh, recently, now the first half of the season, uh, c- concussion aside, you know the first half of the season, he actually caught everything thrown his way. You know, since they turned to him for a bigger role, hasn't been the case. You know, maybe he needs to hit the reset button. Maybe he needs to get back at it and, uh, you know, see it from a different perspective. Um, and maybe the, maybe the Z is the way to do that. And I'll tell you, it, we are 10 games into this thing now, Sean. And Justin Shoulder has nine catches. Daniel George has six catches. You got Ricky Slade and Journey Brown, both with more receptions than Justin Shoulder. You've got Noah Kane with more catches than Daniel George at this point. And, and additionally, Matt Kippenhammer didn't catch a single pass until he recorded one for 15 yards against Indiana. So there's a lot of unknown commodities right now in that receiver room this deep into the season entering a matchup. I think you can make a strong case that Ohio State has the most impressive defensive secondary in college football right now. So a little scary that you're still trying to figure things out to this level at this stage of the season. Yeah, the depth really hasn't come through. We thought they were six deep. I mean, we haven't seen Weston Carr. Um, we thought he was going to be somebody that could, could dent that and, and get some reps. But, yeah, it just hasn't worked out, and uh, I, I don't know the answer to that, really. I mean, you're, you're 10 games in. Justin Shorter's got nine catches. I mean, certainly did not see that one coming. Uh, on the injury front, we mentioned that K.J. Hamler remains a question mark. We'll see how things shake out there. But uh, Noah Kane ha- has been on that injury list uh, since the second bye week. Uh, got his first college start in the eighth game against Michigan State. Touched the ball a bunch the first two series. Then he was gone for the rest of the way. We have not seen him uh, since. An apparent lower body issue. Been on the practice field each of the past couple Wednesdays. Last Wednesday, a bit more active. A couple weeks ago, we were just about as active as I think you said. Um, but at this point, it's a second week in a row where James Franklin has gone on the record saying, uh, 
Kane probably could have played the previous Saturday. So he said that last week that Kane probably could have played against Minnesota. He said on Tuesday afternoon that Kane probably could have played against Indiana. Their train of thought is on like the receiver spot. Uh, they have a little bit of leeway there in the running back role. And I think Journey Brown has obviously stabilized the situation since Noah Kane left that game against Michigan State. Sean, he has 50 touches for 306 yards and three touchdowns. He's looked the part. We've seen a little bit of Devin Ford sprinkled in, uh, seen very little of Ricky Slade, especially as a rusher. Uh, But, you know, obviously this is a game where Noah Kane, any game, he's a valuable resource. But in a game where you want to prevent putting that ball in the hands of Justin Fields in in an explosive Ohio State offense that has not slowed down for anyone, Boy, would he be a big boost uh, to get him back in, in action against uh, against the Buckeyes on Saturday. You certainly want all your horses ready to go. Noah Kane is a guy that can give you some quality yards and also try and get some time off the clock. I think it's a comfort thing right now, uh, and it's an experience thing. James Franklin kind of alluded to his practice time. I mean, if you if, if he's a third-year player or fourth-year player, you maybe don't really need to see as much from him in practice throughout the week. And they've gone with the approach of, hey, he's not going to practice He's a freshman. He's, he's not going to play. And I, I get where that's coming from. But you'd love to have Noah Kane back out there. He can get you some yards. They don't really, you know, I think Devin Ford has done a good job in the role that they've asked him to be in. I think Ricky Slade, you know, that's kind of gone off the table at this point. Journey Brown's played well. Uh, but Noah Kane just gives you a little bit something different. Now, granted, Penn State just just had an 18-play drive, which I think you and I are probably still in shock uh, over from <laughs> yeah. the Indiana game. Uh, but yeah, you'd rather have Noah Kane in there than than a Will Levis, than you know a package that you're bringing in where you expect the quarterback to run, and then the quarterback does run, and everybody looks around and says, "Oh, the quarterback ran." Um, so it, it, I think Noah Kane could really help you out. I don't know that he's the game changer. I, I know he's not the game changer that KJ Hamler is, but he's a guy that can give you yards and give you clock. And when you're going to Columbus, that's something that you definitely need. You mentioned game changers. There are few on this roster and few across college football who can change the complexity of a matchup like Pat Fryermuth can at tight end. Uh, on pace to lead all Big Ten tight ends and touchdowns for the second consecutive year. Remarkably, not one of the eight semifinalists for the John Mackey Award, uh, although he got twice weekly honors from that award as the top tight end in the country twice in 10 games. Wrote it this week about uh, how that's pretty much a travesty. I think the reaction has followed. Caught up with some players. Uh, James Franklin, who who himself said, you can't find eight tight ends better than this guy. Maybe a couple. I can live with that. Not eight. That's what Franklin said. I think anyone who co- follows Penn State football closely would agree with it. But bigger news, uh, Pat Fryermuth did say that the John Mackey Award is a goal. But he and many other players, essentially, essentially every guy on the Penn State team, has the ultimate goal of, of moving forward with their football career being able to make a ton of money to play the sport they love. And, and it turns out uh, a shock to many, not if you've been following the coverage that Sean has, has, has put up on lines 24 uh, seven behind the VIP wall. Uh, but Pat Fryermuth, just a sophomore right now in terms of eligibility, he will be able to declare for the 2020 NFL draft if he chooses to do so. Yeah, that's something we've been talking about for a while on our boards. And it's and it's kind of a technicality in that he spent five years at the Brooks School in, in Massachusetts. Now that's not a, a, a traditional prep route where you graduate high school, then you go to a year of prep school, and then you come out. He repeated his sophomore year. The verbiage in the uh, in the NFL rules state that in a situation like that, it's it's about when your class 
enters school your freshman year of high school um and then so that 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 kind of extra year was basically his redshirt year from their standpoint so he's old enough to do it he knows that he's gonna do it he's known that he can do it the entire time that's the thing i mean it's not this is not new news to him or penn state uh they've been talking about it for a while now um it's one of those situations where he's going to not petition but he's going to have to apply to enter that's a formality that's a basically what every early entry does but yeah he's eligible um from what I've gathered from talking to people around the program, you know, at least before he went on this big touchdown spring, you know, all the all the intentions were to come back. So I think that there's a lot going for him if he does want to come back, if he's going to come back. Right now, I would lean on that side, but you know, you you, you start stacking up touchdowns, you start stacking up these stats, and people start talking to you when they know that you're eligible for the draft, and and, and things can go any which way. But uh, he's had a phenomenal year. He certainly de- deserves to be in the mix. Uh, among the top tight ends drafted whenever he does come out. Um, What's interesting about Pat, such a good football player. I don't know that he's the freak that's going to go, you know, in the first round in terms of uh, testing off the charts and being that guy that changes the position. We seem to see that every year. A couple of guys from Iowa went in the first round this year, and then there was kind of a a gap between tight ends. So it'll, you know, he'll have to figure out his his worth as a prospect, and, and, and I don't mean to, to make it sound like that, but figure out where he fits in the draft and, and figure out whether he can help himself, where that's going to come back. And, and, and I do think he can use another year of seasoning. I mean, he's three years removed from where he needs to be to enter the draft, but at the same time, he's only been in a college weight program for two years, so I think he can benefit by staying benefit by getting uh, another year under Dwight Galt and and sort of getting out and feeling out where he stands uh, among the, the class of 2021 tight ends. And I think he'd be right at the top there. Suddenly, Nittany Lions fans encountering a reality in which these two sophomores who are at the forefront of this offensive attack, KJ Hamler, Pat Fryermuth, are will they be back in 2020? It's something that we'll continue to reassess, uh, you know, as things develop. Well, you, and kept, you kept posting about all the t- the touchdowns for the the freshmen and sophomores and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like you know he can leave these two can leave I mean you 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 certainly take a big chunk out of Penn State's offense if these two actually do decide to leave so it's just interesting to see that even even when this team is young they're maybe not that young exactly and and you know the third year sophomores they'll sneak up on you sometimes I I don't think that was the case with anyone with KJ Hamler but this news about Fryermuth Although, again, it's been reported uh, on Lines 24-7 for a while now. I think uh, a lot of people learning about it just in the past few days. I think it was mentioned during the Saturday broadcast of the Indiana-Penn State game. that Reported, ca- reported but not accepted because people wanted to believe that was not true. But... Yeah, we were right. So I'm just going to pat myself on the back here. So and and here we are. And 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 again, Fryermuth, uh, his next touchdown will will put him on top of the Penn State all-time tight ends scoring leaderboard. He's currently locked in a tie atop that list with Mike Gesicki. Both reached the end zone 15 times. Of course, Gesicki did that towards the tail end of his fourth year on campus, and Pat Fryermuth did it in game number 21 of his career. Um, on a different note here, Sean, something that we, we debated on whether we'd bring up here on, on the podcast, we'll, we'll mention it briefly. Uh, Sean Clifford, during the phone call on Tuesday, we talked about a lot of things. Pat Fryermuth, uh, KJ Hamler's health, uh, how he's handling his emotions as a quarterback, something that's come up quite a bit. Uh, but he took it in a different direction, referencing some of the lows he experienced after the, the Minnesota loss, and, and then getting into it with death threats that he said he received. 
He declined to go any further when, when pressed upon it by a fellow reporter. Um, but Franklin addressed it yesterday. Pat Fryermuth addressed it. Franklin went on for about a couple minutes uh, discussing the issue. But uh, very clearly, this is... I you know, certainly want to call it a major outlier in the fan base, but this is not exclusive to Penn State football. This is not exclusive to college athletics. Uh, seems just fans have a hard time wrapping their head around or perspective and about what athletes owe them personally and how they respond when, when maybe they don't get what they want out of an athlete, much less a 20-year-old kid. Yeah, I mean, it's garbage. Is it what it is? I mean, just if you, if you do that, I mean, there, it used to be a little different. I mean, you've got social media now where there's really no wall between the fan and the player. And yeah, you say the player should, you know, if he doesn't want to be that, don't be on Twitter, but don't be an asshole. I mean, that, that that's the number one thing here. Um, and these people, I, I hope, are not listeners. Um, I've seen some things that, that, that I would question on Twitter. I'm, that's why my mute game is very strong on Twitter. Uh, but no, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to think. And that's kind of where we're at. You said it, it's not just Penn state. It's all over the country. Um, it's fandom right now where if you don't, if it's not perfect, then somebody's angry, somebody's felt, you know, uh, betrayed or, or something like that. So not going to spend any more time on this. It's pathetic. Um, I hope they've, you know, condemn whatever happens here or whoever did that. And, and, you know, it's just make an example of him or whatever because it's it, it, it's awful so but uh Penn State's nine and one you know reading some things you would think and this is kind of bleeding over to the Clifford stuff but Penn State's nine and one reading some things you would think that that, that people you know they're 500 right now maybe uh fire everybody bench everybody all that kind of stuff freaking enjoy yourself man it's football this isn't the this isn't your real life this is the distraction for real life and if, if you can't differentiate the two I mean, maybe step away from the computer, maybe step away from football. Nine and one for the first time in 11 years is this Penn State program. And uh, I know Sean said he is taking a break and, and deleted some social media apps. But if he wanted to peek his head back on the Twitter, I think yesterday he would be pretty impressed and, and, and probably feel pretty good about the messages I saw being sent his way from so many members of the Nittany Lions community in support of Sean Clifford. So that's always good to see uh, the fan base at large step up and respond to a situation that, that was not a good look and, and certainly personally impacted a player that is a big part of Penn State's plans here in 2019 and beyond. We're going to step away and take a quick break for our advertisers. When we come back, We've got Patrick Murphy, who covers Ohio State for Lions, uh, for 24-7 Sports. We'll get a breakdown of the Buckeyes with him, and then we'll come back with some recruiting news as well. Stay with us. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're going to get a better look at the unbeaten Ohio State Buckeyes right now. Uh, As we mentioned, Ohio State number two in the college football playoff. Many have made the case for them as the top team in the country over the course of this 2019 campaign. And we're going to bring in somebody who knows quite a bit about this Ohio State squad, Patrick Murphy uh, from 24-7 Sports. He has been on the beat uh, for a few years now. And and, and Patrick, um, let's start with it. Uh, Ohio State, what are the vibes right now in Columbus? Clearly the, the stage is set for a, a big uh, national broadcast. There's going to be uh, various college football dignitaries back on campus, including Urban Meyer, of course. What is the buildup feeling like right now for the Ohio State Buckeyes? This is certainly a big game week here in Columbus, um, and and kind of the first one of these that that's happened here. And that's not to take anything away from from the Michigan State or Wisconsin games, but this just has that feel of you know November game, a lot's on the line. Uh, I think Ohio State both the fan base and and the team in general respects what Penn State has done not only this year but in previous years um, against Ohio State and you know just just on a, a big 10 and national scene so you know this this feels like a, a game that you know will determine a lot of things and obviously it will the big 10 East title is more or less on the line in this game um, you know potential college football playoff implications depending on on how the game plays out so, I think the fact that you're going to have, you know, college game day, Fox's big noon kickoff, the Big Ten uh, tailgate show all in Columbus before the game also adds a little bit more juice to it. Um, you know, there's there's not a ton of, of big games this week for for whatever reason. So, uh, you know, this is the where the eyes of college football world will be this week. And I think uh, it's it's kind of a pretty cool vibe. Um, and you can kind of feel that that it's building into something around the the practice facility and, and around the Columbus in general. Ohio State, uh, not really move the meter kind of games. It's coming off of Rutgers, Maryland. This one certainly feels different for you. What's different about this team uh, compared to the Ohio State versions we've seen in the last couple of years? The teams that have won by one point against Penn State, gone into the fourth quarter, had you know double digit deficits against these Nittany Lions. What stands out to you about the 2019 squad that makes it unique? Specifically, if you're looking at comparing it to last year, it's it's got to be the defense. You know, Ohio State gave up a lot of big plays last year defensively. It was it was just a historically bad Ohio State defense, and there's a lot of reasons you can point to um, with with coaching decisions and whatnot. But um, you know, it's 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 more or less the same group of players this year. They're a year more experienced, and and they're being coached differently. Ohio State under Urban Meyer since you know about 2014 played strictly press man where you know they they'd 
you know, your receivers had to beat, had to beat those corners one-on-one and last year, for whatever reason, that didn't work a ton. The linebackers weren't tackling in space. Um, there were just a lot of issues and this year they've, they've gone to a more, um, more zone coverage, changed up the scheme quite a bit and just let players, you know, the athletes and, and the talented players they have play, not think so much. And it's worked. Ohio State's, you know, ranked near or at the top in most of the major defensive categories. And that's been a major turnaround. Ohio State's offense was rolling last year with Dwayne Haskins um, and and the running backs kind of leading the way. But, you know, I, I, you look at a game like Penn State that gave up a bunch of points. Uh, Maryland, a team that didn't come in as an offensive juggernaut into that game and, and you know, takes Ohio State to overtime with a back and forth game. So the the big focus this offseason was cleaning up the defense. They've done that. And then the other thing I'd say is Justin Fields um, is a different quarterback than Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins is, I, I'm sure your listeners know, is much more of a pocket passer, despite what Stephen A. Smith might tell you. And uh, he, uh, you know, could get the job done through the air. Hasker uh, Fields, I'm sorry, is is much more dual threat. And they haven't run him a ton this year, just because there's not a ton of depth behind him. But he's run when he's needed to, specifically the Wisconsin game, um, a little bit in the Nebraska game early on. So, you know, we've seen kind of the dual threat nature that, that goes almost back to a, a JT Barrett-like, Braxton Miller-like quarterback um, that can hurt you with his arm or his legs. And uh, so those are the two major differences. Other than that, you know, this is an Ohio State team that has a lot of talent and, and has just figured out ways to use it um, and probably better than they did the last couple of years. Plenty of familiarity with Justin Fields here in Happy Valley. He spent yeah. you know, significant time committed to the program. We've seen Penn State the last, like, this will be the third straight year in which they face a different starting quarterback. JT Barrett led a comeback back in 2017. Last year was uh, Dwayne Haskins, who hit a couple long distance touchdowns in the fourth quarter at Beaver Stadium. Now it's Justin Fields. And the one thing we do not yet know about Justin Fields, and correct me if I'm wrong, but how he handles himself in close games. And and look, Las Vegas has that this one at an 18, 19 point spread. They're not really anticipating that. But but if we go based off the track record of recent matchups, and let's say this one is hanging in the balance late in the contest, what's your sense of Justin Fields, the way he commands the offense, the way he is viewed in this locker room? You know, it, sometimes I think it's easy to forget he's you know only got the campus earlier here in 2019. That is a is a good question, and actually, I asked him a little bit about this when we spoke with him yesterday. You know, when was the last time you had to drive a team down the field late in the game to score a winning touchdown or, or get points to win? And he said it was probably his junior year of high school. Obviously, he didn't start for Georgia last year. He was a backup to Jake Fromm, um, and his senior year <laughs> went pretty well where they didn't have to do that. Um, so I asked him, you know, how comfortable are you in in those situations? And he said. You know, he doesn't look at end of game situations any different than, than early game situations. In fact, he feels more comfortable in those because he's he's in a rhythm and he's been playing. Now, it's easy to say that. Right. You know, it's easy to talk about. But going out there and actually doing it is is the tough part. And, uh, you know, Justin Fields has shown no indication that he can't drive the team down the field in those situations. But we also haven't seen him under under kind of the fire of uh, that pressure. I think, you know, the way he commands the huddle and, and whatnot that you were asking about has been very good. He's taken over as a, as a leader of this offense. So from what we've seen, I would imagine he would be, you know, ca- completely capable of of executing the, the two-minute drill or, or in late-game situations. But until we see it, we don't know. And that's been one of the things with this Ohio State team, because they've been so dominant, we haven't seen a lot of adversity, whether it's Justin Fields or otherwise. Uh, I think the 
the most adverse situation they faced was being up by three against Wisconsin in the third quarter, and they ended up you know, pulling away in that one. So not just Justin Fields, but how does this defense do if, if it's not getting to the quarterback and teams are moving the ball on it? You know, if they can't run the ball against Penn State, obviously Penn State has a very good run defense. You know, how, do, how does that change things offensively? So I think there's a lot of questions, but Justin Fields, you know, if it comes down to that late game situation is certainly one of them and, and one I really can't answer until we see it. You mentioned Justin Fields looking comfortable, feeling comfortable. I think a big part of that has to be that he shares the backfield with J.K. Dobbins, who is, you know, already notched his third consecutive 1,000-yard rush season. How will they utilize J.K. Dobbins on Saturday? And additionally, do you think he flies under the radar a bit? Maybe not just the national scene, but among Big Ten stars because of who he has shared the backfield with, because there is a guy like Chase Young on the other side of the football who was a national name? I do think he has, you know, you mentioned sharing the backfield. Mike Weber was here the last two years, so they split carries. But, uh, you know, he's the first Ohio State running back, first Ohio State player to rush for 1,000 yards in his freshman, sophomore, and junior season, which if you go back through Ohio State history, there's been some pretty good running backs um, and even mobile quarterbacks that have played early on. So that's pretty remarkable in and of itself. And, you know, J.K. Dobbins, was very candid this offseason that he didn't think he had a good year last year, that he felt like he was trying to, because he was splitting time, you know, try and hit the home run every time he carried the ball. And this year he feels much more comfortable. And I think you've seen that in the way he's playing, um, you know, being patient, running behind what has become a very good offensive line. They've even used him in, in the receiving game some, which we saw a little bit of his freshman year, but hasn't been a big part of his his game. Um, you know, he just he just seems comfortable. I think you're seeing the player that they recruited. Um, I believe Penn State recruited him a little bit too, coming out of Texas. And you know, yeah, I think he's one of the better running backs in the country. Um, you know, went head to head against Jonathan Taylor or as much as you can earlier this year, and you know, put up a, a hundred yards against a tough Wisconsin rush defense. So um, he's been very good and better than I even expected, uh, despite you know what we heard all off season. Um, I will be very interested to see how he does against this Penn State rush defense because you know, he's, he's been able to adjust to every other top rush defense they face. But I really like what I've seen out of Penn State in that department defensively. So it's going to be a challenge. I think this is probably his biggest challenge of the year, the offensive line's biggest challenge of the year to get him going. And Ohio State's done a very good job of staying balanced this year. They haven't had you know, to rely on, on the rush game or the past game, it's 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 been, like I said, balanced. So that's going to be key to, to kind of get this running game going for Ohio State and obviously on the other side for Penn State to slow J.K. Dobbins down. Last September, K.J. Hill, Benjamin Victor made big plays in crunch time against Penn State to help lead that comeback. When we're talking about a supporting cast, again, it seems like a deep group uh, that Fields is working with beyond J.K. Dobbins. Can you kind of break down uh, the top targets through the first 10 games of this season and, and you know who may be the X factor working against this Penn State secondary? Sure. Um, you mentioned two of them in, in K.J. Hill, a senior, uh, fifth-year senior who elected to come back this year when um, a number of his classmates went on to the NFL, and Benjamin Victor, uh, a fourth-year senior, who caught that pass um, that, that really sparked the comeback for Ohio State last year. Both those guys have been impressive. K.J. Hill is is closing in on the Ohio State uh, all-time career reception mark. In fact, I, I expected him to reach it at this point, but there's been so many weapons that they've gotten the ball to that you know he just hasn't had to, to make a ton of catches this year. 
Um, but the X factor, I think, is is Chris Olave, a guy who came on late last season after an injury to Austin Mack. He was a freshman out of California, kind of an under the radar guy, but has been very impressive. Was was impressive, especially against Michigan in the final game of the regular season last year, and you know seems to just catch everything. A very polished route runner for for a sophomore. Um, you know, Justin Fields said yesterday he doesn't have a favorite receiver receiving target, and you know he just likes to get the ball to whoever's open. But it seems that he gets the ball to Chris Olave quite a bit, especially in third downs. That seems to be the guy that he's most comfortable going to, or at least how they uh, scheme things up. So he's a guy that that I think Penn State will have to be very aware of. Um, you know, he's he's started to kind of break out at least in the Big Ten and and maybe a little bit nationally this season. Um, but yeah, he's a guy that, especially like I said, on those third downs, third and long type of plays, needs to be um, accounted for because he runs very good routes. They scheme things well for him, and he's got very good hands. And Justin Fields seems very comfortable getting him the ball. Olave tied for the Big Ten lead right now with nine touchdown catches. Uh, Tyler Johnson of Minnesota also has nine touchdown catches. He was one of uh, the three Minnesota wide receivers to reach the end zone against Ohio State. Uh, Patrick, there is some concern about Penn State's secondary, their pass coverage in general heading into this game. Um, on the other side of the football, though, a guy that that certainly causes concern for the Nittany Lions as well, Chase Young. What did it mean when the news came down that he would be eligible to participate in this game? Um, and in terms of the spread and talking about how this game is perceived, if you take Chase Young out of the equation, how would you maybe view this game differently? It was huge news when when Chase Young was going to be eligible for this game. I think that's what Ohio State fans were, were hoping for. I, everybody thought that they could get through Maryland and Rutgers without Chase Young. Um, but you know, if you go back and watch Ohio State against Wisconsin, he was was a man among boys against a very big Wisconsin offensive line. Uh, they just couldn't block Chase Young, and that was when you know his his five tackles for loss, four sacks in that game were were kind of what propelled him into maybe Heisman Trophy discussion and whatnot. So losing a player like that, um, you know, against Rutgers in Maryland is is not a huge deal, but. When you get into this type of game, this top 10 game against a, a very good Penn State team, you want to have your best players out there. And he certainly is Ohio State's best player. Um, he makes a huge difference defensively. Now, they were able to get by with with the depth that they have on the defensive line. Guys like uh, freshman Zach Harrison, who is a five-star kid from Columbus, uh, played really well. Tyler Friday, um, Tyreek Smith, you know, a number of guys that they worked in there uh, played well. but. When you, when you talk about this Penn State game, I think he, he could be a big difference defensively for Ohio State. He doesn't allow uh, time for the quarterback to have routes develop, uh, makes to get the ball out quick, and you know that just kind of affects everything in the flow of the offense. So you know if, if he can have any sort of impact like he did against Wisconsin, that'll be a huge thing for Ohio State. Obviously, he's going to be motivated having missed the last two games and, and fresh. Um, you know, he practiced, so... It's, it's not like he should be overly rusty, but uh, yeah, it's, it was a big deal when, when the suspension came down and it was only those two games that you figure you could get by anyway and that he'd be back for, for not only this game, but next week against Michigan and then a potential Big Ten championship game if Ohio State makes it there. Yeah, I suppose the 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 biggest thing from him missing those those two matchups is is you know preventing him from really pursuing the the single season sack record. It, it appeared he may be within striking distance of Terrell Suggs all time mark, perhaps. But uh, aside from that, uh, Maryland Rutgers, I think you like those matchups either way for Ohio State. Uh, going into this one, you mentioned um, having him available is big. We're not sure yet if KJ Hamler is going to be available 
for Penn State. Uh, appears to be a head injury based on everything we've gathered from the situation, seeing how he was uh, handled by the medical staff during the Indiana game. Um, for all I know, we're recording this on a Wednesday. We're, we're going to go to practice later today. Maybe he'll be out there with a helmet on running routes. We don't know that, but how much of a concern is KJ Hamler for Ohio State last year in less than a full game? Let's remember he exited that game early as well after a collision and was not available for Penn State late. Uh, but he put up almost 200 all-purpose yards. He was the Big Ten freshman of the year. Uh, him, Pat Fryermuth, is there a 1A, 1B in terms of, of who worries you more from a Buckeyes perspective? I think those are those are the two guys I would have pointed to. Um, Hamler in particular, just because of what he did last year against Ohio State. In fact, when we were talking to uh, one of the cornerbacks, Sean Wade, who Hamler beat on on that slant route uh, for the big play uh, last year, he said, you know, that's a that's a play that sticks with him. And you know, cornerbacks are supposed to have short memories and and not let those things affect him. But you know, he he clearly uh, let that one you know stand out in his mind as in terms of something Sean Wade could have done better, but. Just his ability to, you know, to do various things. You mentioned the all-purpose yards. Um, it's he's he's just a handful defensively. You've got to always be aware of where he is. You know, he's kind of like the opposite of of a Chase Young on the other side of the ball, and just in terms of you know the awareness of, of where he is. So that's a big one. If if he can play for Penn State, that certainly is an advantage uh, for the Nittany Lions. If he's out, I, I imagine the Buckeyes will will not uh, be too upset about it. But you mentioned the tight end. That's a position Ohio State really struggled with last year, defending, especially with the linebackers. And, uh, you know, they will have to prove, because they haven't faced a, an overly talented tight end this year, they'll have to prove that that they've figured out a way to manage, um, you know, guys like that. I, I imagine that, that they'll have something schemed up um, to, to kind of contain both of those players, assuming they both play. But, you know, it's it's hard to to practice with, with guys like that because they're so unique. Um, and obviously can, can hurt you in a variety of different ways. I mentioned the fact that Ohio State's going to be rolling out with a, a different starting quarterback in this matchup for the third straight year. It's the first time since 2015 where Trace McSorley will not be the guy orchestrating the Penn State offensive attack. What is the general consensus about Sean Clifford, what you're hearing in Columbus as far as uh, what he presents in this matchup and, and maybe how it's different than what they've dealt with in years past? He's definitely different um, than than Trace McSorley, but I think they can do um, you know similar things. Uh, you know, tops of the Big Ten in terms of passing yards. Uh, Co-defense coordinator Jeff Halfley brought him up yesterday in terms of a guy that they can hurt Ohio State if they're not careful. You know, obviously he can throw the ball, um, but but his ability to move it with his legs too is is something that that they will have to be aware of. Again, and I've said this a couple times now, Ohio State hasn't faced a quarterback really that. Um, you know, can can do both things as a true true dual threat guy, and and I think Clifford can do that. I'll be very interested to see how he handles, you know, the atmosphere. His first time playing at Ohio Stadium, um, you know, quarterbacks have come in and and done various things in in their first trip to Ohio Stadium. The the fact that it's a noon game may help a little bit, but um, you know, the crowd will certainly be be amped up. And you know, there was kind of a a call from Ryan Day yesterday to. To Buckeye Nation to, uh, you know, be there early, be there, be there and be loud. Um, and I think that was mainly geared towards frustrating um, this Penn State offense, and especially, especially Sean Clifford when when he, you know, has to change play calls and things like that. Um, but that's cer- certainly someone Ohio State is aware of and, uh, you know, is looking to to game plan against. 
Clifford was there in 2017, but he was the number three guy, and he was relegated to the sideline. He's going to be called upon to come up big in this one if Penn State wants to have a shot. How about some defensive storylines, some standouts? As I look across the depth chart for the Buckeyes, I'm reminded of a lot of elite recruits from the last two, three, four years, and and that's what Urban Meyer was able to do. They continue to recruit at a high level thus far with Ryan Day. But uh, among the as currently constructed, we spent time on Chase Young. What are some storylines that stand out on defense, and who are some players that Penn State fans, if, if they're not familiar with yet, uh, that will quickly become familiar with on Saturday afternoon? First one that comes to mind is is cornerback Jeffrey Okuda. Um, you know, he he played against Penn State last year. He played a good amount last year, but was was in a rotation with Damon Arnett, who was still there for the Buckeyes, and uh, Kendall Sheffield, who is now in the NFL. Okuda was a five-star cornerback, one of the top two. I don't remember if he was one or he was two. I think he was the number one ranked quarterback in his, cornerback in his class uh, and has finally started to, to really show that and, and did so a little bit at the end of last year. But he's been a lockdown guy. You know, teams aren't throwing his way nearly as much as they were early in the season. I've seen on a number of uh, mock draft boards, and obviously it's early, but he's usually one of the first, if not the first, cornerback there. Um, you know, he, he's a junior, but expected to, to go pro and has ju- just been very good. You know, the, the next in line in a long line of Ohio state cornerbacks and another guy would be Malik Harrison. Um, the starting outside linebacker. He's, he blossomed last year and has taken it another step as a senior. He was a really under-recruited guy from the Columbus area, three-star kid, more of an athlete at that point in time that they didn't really know what position he would play, but just, just liked what he brought um, to the football field. So he kind of bounced around early in his career trying to find a home and ended up at linebacker and, you know, passed up some some other higher higher recruited guys to earn a spot as a starter last year and has continued that this year. Um, in my mind, he's one of the, the better uh, linebackers in the Big Ten, certainly underrated, but he's a guy who has a knack for getting to the ball, whether it's in the backfield or out in open space. Um, a good tackler, just, just like I said, a, a very good athlete who is – over the t- over his time at Ohio State, refined his skills and and become a very solid linebacker. And I expect him to be um, maybe a mid round NFL pick next year and and have a chance to make a team. So those are probably two guys um, that I would mention. Pete Warner, another linebacker who has you know played a little bit of safety this year too. They've kind of got a hybrid linebacker um, safety position that that he plays is another one. But um, yeah, those are probably the three guys I would point out. Special teams has been pivotal at different points uh, recently in this series. Is there any? Are there any trends we should be aware of in terms of uh, Ohio State on special teams? Yeah, I think the, I mentioned Chris Olave earlier as a receiver. He's kind of filled in where uh, Terry McLaurin now at the Washington Redskins uh, did last year, kind of doing a little bit of everything on special teams. You know, he's in there on on kick return, uh, punt return you know, blocked a punt. Um, you know, he's, he's just kind of a, a diverse guy, a good athlete that they can move around on special teams, <laughs> recovered an onside kick two weeks ago against Maryland. Um, so he's one guy that, that I would keep an eye on in terms of special teams. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't do everything, especially because they need him on offense, but he's usually out there working hard. Um, other than that, you know, Ohio state hasn't done a ton. Um, Drew Chrisman, has been a very solid punter, though last week his punts were very inconsistent against Rutgers. Um, Blake Hobbiel, the, the the kicker, has been good, but again, hasn't been called upon a ton just because of the way this offense has moved the ball. Did have a uh, 50, I want to say it was a 54-yard roughly kick um, against Northwestern to end the half, so certainly got a leg on him. 
Um, but Ohio State special teams has been very good. You know, it was a thing under Urban Meyer that uh, you know they he focused on special teams. He he didn't even have a special teams coordinator. He kind of handled it himself. This year, Ryan Day brought in Matt Barnes from Maryland, and they've been very good. Um, you know, it's it's a, definitely a priority at Ohio State. Starters tend to to um, you know stay on special teams quite a bit. That's kind of the way that they work themselves in, and and guys take a lot of pride in it. So. Uh, it's always been good at Ohio State over the past several years, and, and you know, like you said, it's come down to special teams in this series more than once, and it wouldn't surprise me if there's a special teams play here or there that kind of swings momentum in this one. Wrapping things up with just a couple more questions for you. Thanks again, Patrick, for the time here midway through the game week. Um, what does this team, meaning Ohio State, what do they still have to prove? What have they not uh, shown yet. And I know that you pointed to needing to win a game late and seeing Justin Fields in that situation. That certainly stands out. But what have you not seen from this Ohio State squad so far that, that you're curious about and may define whether they are capable of moving on to win a national championship, starting with a win against Penn State? I think it's just that adver- adversity that we talked about earlier. You know, if, if they get into, um, you know, situations where it's not just coming comfortably and, and, you know, they, they really have to um, either win a game late or, or get a stop late. Uh, you know, you, uh, there's a special teams gaffes, you know, something like that where, you know, you're facing adversity in, in a big situation and not, you know, in the first half when there's still plenty of time left or early third quarter, whatever the case may be. But, you know, late in games and, and you know, just how this team handles it. You know, it's it's I don't want to say that it's come easy for them because it certainly hasn't been that. But you know, they're winning games by almost 40 points per contest. And in that situation, you just haven't faced enough adversity. And, you know, whether it be this weekend or, or next weekend against Michigan State, the Big Ten Championship, I'm sorry, Michigan, the Big Ten Championship, college football playoff, at some point that's going to happen. You know, it happens for a team in every season. And, you know, how you respond to it dictates, you know, where the season ends up. And, you know, the last couple of years, Ohio State has stumbled in those situations, the, the losses at Iowa and, and Purdue in particular, they just haven't been able to, to get through it. Um, and this year it's all come easy, like I said. So it'll be very interesting. I expect this game to be much closer than, than any of the other um, games Ohio State has played this year. And, you know, just how they, how they handle those situations will determine maybe which team wins this whole game. Ohio State average margin of victory this season, right around six touchdowns per game. They are a 18, 19 point favorite, pushing 20, depending on where you look against Penn State. I'm going to ask you, number two versus number eight in the college football playoff rankings. Do you have a prediction to venture toward in this conversation? And if you don't, where are you leaning towards how the way this game will play out overall? Uh, for me, I think the big matchup comes down to Ohio State's passing game against Penn State's pass defense. And, you know, just watching Penn State throughout the season and, and diving in a little deeper this week, I just I, I think that is where Ohio State wins the game is, is being able to move the ball through the air. Um, I think they'll certainly look at what um, has been done to the Penn State cornerbacks the last two weeks. That secondary has given up certainly some yards um, and, and big plays. Ohio State has the wide receivers to, to make those big plays, and I think Justin Fields can deliver with his arm. You know, I think I think that's going to be the difference in this game. I don't think it'll be quite the the spread that, that Vegas has put out. Um, I haven't gone through and, and come up with a score yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if if this game is you know going into the fourth quarter, still relatively close, seven ten points, and and maybe Ohio State hits a big play late to to pull it to 14-17, something like that. 
Um, you know, I, I just think, I just don't know how Penn State stops this passing game. Um, you know, Justin Fields just had a career day, 305 passing yards, basically in one half against Rutgers. And, you know, I think he's really starting to come in his own. These receivers are, are a veteran group. And I just haven't seen enough out of Penn State's secondary yet. Um, but crazier things have happened, especially in, in this series. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a great game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm excited. Yeah, that matchup you describe, I, I think if it plays out how, how you kind of anticipate it, anticipate it will play out for the Penn State pass defense would essentially be the the worst nightmare realized for a lot of Nittany Lions fans as they look ahead to this game and what may go wrong uh, if Penn State does not return home with a win. Patrick, really appreciate your time. We'll see what happens. A noon kickoff. Ohio State's unbeaten. Penn State has one loss, but their pass to the college football playoff would be looking pretty solid if they can pull off the upset in Columbus. Ohio State, back-to-back Big Ten championship appearances and wins in that game. Uh, They'll punch their ticket with a win against Penn State. We'll find out. Uh, Look forward to seeing you in the press box, Patrick. And uh, thanks again for your time here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Again, a big thanks to Patrick for his insight on Ohio State. We'll see what happens on Saturday. We'll preview that in more detail. Sean and I will. We'll give you our predictions. Uh, That'll be up later in the week. I know you've become accustomed to that second episode of of the week, and and that's where we really get more in-depth from a Penn State perspective, a matchup perspective. We will do that again. But, Sean, turning our attention now to the recruiting trail, it it was a notable weekend uh, in Happy Valley last week for the Indiana game. Some significant visitors, as we had covered on lines 24-7, and a couple new offers as well. Yeah, a couple new offers. Uh, not the biggest weekend that we've seen for for a home game this year, but still, uh, you know, a quality turnout. I think seven guys with offers. Uh, so right in that five to ten uh, area that we talked about on the podcast last week, and then a couple of commits that were on hand as well. But a couple new offers. Jeff Davis out of Connecticut. This is one to to keep an eye on because this is a guy that's been on campus a few times. He camped for Penn State this year. Ran a four five four. I'm probably gonna project him as an athlete in the safety realm, maybe a corner. I'm kind of in the Tyler Rudolph mode. Uh, probably a safety, tall corner, uh, things like that. So uh, good athlete out of Connecticut. Uh, really high academic kid. This is a kid that's probably gonna you know take the take a look at the you know if Stanford does offer or Michigan does offer, Boston College, Notre Dame. That sort of route, and I think he really likes what Penn State brings to the table. Ike Daniels, 2023 running back out of Virginia. We talked last week on the podcast how these 2023 offers are starting to stack up as their freshman tape comes out. Ike Daniels uh, from Deshaun Hamilton's school in Mountain View uh, in in Stafford, Virginia. He's been tremendous as a freshman, had three touchdowns for them last weekend. Seems to be the real deal uh, when you're a freshman and you've got already got offers from, I think, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh and Penn State, you're certainly doing something right. So Ike Daniels is a a name to sort of put away for the future. I think the biggest thing this weekend was the the strides that they made with uh, quarterback Christian Veyu uh, from Canada, plays at the Bullis School in Maryland. I think Penn State uh, might be getting closer to finding its quarterback for the 2021 class. You know those guys that are out there. Uh, it's been the same guys we talked about with uh, Caleb Williams, who's obviously everybody's top guy. Jake Rubley in Colorado, Garrett Nussmeyer in Texas. They really like Christian Veyu as well. Put together a good junior year. Moves around uh, actually better than I thought. Uh, kid, kid tested very well for Penn State this year at camp part of the reason why he got his offer so just keeping an eye on that one is it a crystal ball eh, maybe we'll, we, we might get to that point but you know when you can figure out your quarterback excuse me for for that class it goes so far in sort of 
painting the identity of the rest of the class. And if they can get Veyu locked up, I, I think he's right there in that second tier with uh, Rubley and Nussmeyer. If they can get him locked up, that's a guy they like. And this is a, a situation where you know, you're not going to hold out forever for your top guy, who's Caleb Williams. And if you take your number three or four guy on the, t- on the board right there, you're going to be happy with him. They did that a couple of years ago. They now have Sean Clifford starting for them, and Hunter Johnson is now at his second school. Quickly going back to Jeff Davis, uh, of note there, he is a former training partner of a couple of current Penn State freshmen out of Connecticut, uh, Marquise Wilson, Tyler Rudolph in the defensive backfield. They have a connection. That history is in place, and, and we know that Connecticut has been a spot where Penn State has, has searched out for some top talent over the years. Add Davis to the list. Um, you mentioned Veyu. He, he was a big one to know of, but an, a, a couple other updates coming out of this uh, that, that that turned my head, at least, and, and some of the reporting f- from Brian Doan and uh, Steve Wilfong. Wilfredo Ibar, a big name to know long term. Uh, he was in town as well. Yes, Ibar is a, what, the number four prospect in the 2022 class. So Ibar is there. Caden Saunders, a kid from the uh, from Ohio in the 2022 class. So two really talented 2022s there. Ibar seems to have the look of a guy. You know, he's about 6'3", 225. So, you know, he's in that maybe that outside linebacker in a 3-4 type thing, uh, type pr- uh, prospect. But uh, he, he's definitely going to be uh, a hand-in-the-dirt type guy at the next level. Uh, tremendously athletic, tremendously, uh, I guess, versatile from his sophomore film, moves around very well, uh, plays fairly violently for for just a, just a young pup. So Ibar is certainly a name to know. Going back in the 2021 class, Trevion Henderson, uh, he visited this weekend, and I don't know if he's going to come to Penn State, but he's one of my favorite recruits in the 2021 class. Kid can move around like crazy. Clemson wants him as a corner. Penn State wants him as a running back. He's a shade over 5'10". He's about 192 right now. Um, so he's he's a guy that, you know, if you're looking at best possible scenarios for that 2021 class, you're looking at him and Evan Pryor as your top uh, running back uh, uh, prospects. Of course, Donovan Edwards in Michigan as well is one to know. But Trevion Henderson, man, I, I, he's just, he's lights out. We, I think we have him rated a little bit low in the 200s right now. He's a guy that I see moving up. Uh, it's just a phenomenal football player. To get him on campus, to, to show him what uh, you can offer on a game day, to, to give him the chance to play running back, which is what I believe he wants to do at the next level, I think Penn State can get their foot in the door and, and, and make some strides here. A couple of commits elsewhere in Happy Valley to check out uh, maybe an alternative alternative course for their college career. Uh, Jared Barron's uh, Georgia Tech commit and Greg Crippen, a Notre Dame pledge, Sean, uh, checking out Penn State firsthand. What's interesting to me, Barron's is a kid who's committed to Georgia Tech at this point in the 2021, or excuse me, 2020 class. He started as a 2021 prospect, camped for the staff last summer as a 2021 prospect. Then he reclassified, committed to Georgia Tech. Now it seems like he's probably going to end up back in that 2021 class, open things up. So if you're looking at 2021 linebackers, and there's not a ton of them in this uh, in this cycle that have uh, emerged as you know quality targets or anything like that, uh, Barons is a guy that certainly jumps out. He, he's he's athletic. He's got the size, moves around fairly well. So uh, interested to see where that one will go. Penn State has not offered. Penn State has also not offered uh, Greg Crippen, the Notre Dame commit. Uh, he's a guy that, that is from Massachusetts. He's camped for the staff in the past, um, but uh, at the same measure, he, he went to IMG this year. I don't, excuse me. I don't think Penn State is tremendously high on him. I don't. I don't think a lot of the schools that that are on his offer list are tremendously high on him. So it'll be interesting to see where his recruitment goes. Uh, he's committed to Notre Dame right now, but if he's taking visits at this point, kind of tells me something else might be up there. 
we are still waiting on a commitment announcement from Theo Johnson. That was initially supposed to come this Monday. He postponed things. He has made official visits to Michigan, Iowa, Georgia, Penn State. Those are the uh, those are the perceived finalists here. Uh, timeline unknown, I guess, at this stage. But uh, very quickly, Sean, we are now creeping up uh, on that, the early signing period today as we record on a Wednesday four weeks away from the start of that three-day window. Yeah, and we're kind of waiting to see on Theo Johnson. Obviously, he's the, stop, uh, the, st- the staff's top target in the 2020 class. I think Sean Martin and Johnson are the two guys that actually have spots right now in the 2020 class. Martin might be uh, West Virginia lean. There's some some whispers that he may be you know, leaning heavily toward the Mountaineers. Uh, it's in-state, but again, if you own a map, uh, Bluefield is not really the West Virginia you're thinking about when you're thinking about Morgantown. So um, it's, uh, it's an interesting situation because Penn State's very high on him. Uh, he's a three-star prospect, but Penn State would still take him right now. Theo, I mean, you're not really sure where that's going. He took the official visit to Michigan over the weekend. Um, you know, there's, there's talk that he might get back for the Michigan-Ohio State game. That's obviously not good news for, for anybody but Michigan. Uh, Iowa still is in the mix heavily there. Uh, Penn State's still doing what they can to, 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 to be right there in the mix or right there on top of the mix. But yeah, until this one uh, has a more definitive timeline, not really sure which way that one is, uh, is going right now because I think the longer it goes when you're talking about Penn State as a perceived leader the longer it goes uh the, the worse it's got to be for them you've mentioned that the the, the staff knows uh and and Pat has known that Friermuth uh can can leave for the draft after this year if he chooses to do that I wonder if Theo Johnson's just hearing about that because you're talking about a team that could potentially I emphasize potentially lose its top two tight ends that's something that's a different dynamic than maybe you envisioned at the start of the Theo Johnson recruitment just something to keep in mind I don't think we'll have any clarity on Friermuth uh by the time Theo Johnson's ready to make a decision uh but but just a a different wrinkle in there Uh, by the way commitments that had not have happened not happened yet but crystal ball picks that have been made Bill Green uh who covers Ohio so so well Devontae Smith the defensive back in the 2021 class a crystal ball pick there and another player, this one has been in for a while, but he was back on campus, as you mentioned, came in October, a crystal ball, Caden Saunders, the, the speedy wide receiver who, who lives just around the corner from Columbus, does not yet have an Ohio State offer, but a crystal ball pick uh, for Penn State from him, from Bill Green and from Steve Wiltfong. Yeah, the, the Saunders pick is one that we've talked about in the past. I think Penn State is the leader, no doubt there. Of course, he's a 2022 kid, so take that where you will. Devontae Smith is an interesting one. He's popped up on the radar of a lot of schools recently. Tennessee offered last week. Uh, a couple other schools, I feel like Oklahoma offered last week, but maybe I'm getting that mixed up. Uh, but yeah, this is a really, really good player. I think we have him as a mid three star right now. I don't see that staying. Had a really, really good uh, junior uh, junior film. So we'll see what happens with that one. I- I'm kind of buying this one from Bill Green. I know that Bill puts in a lot of uh, crystal ball picks for guys fairly early in the process, but I feel like Penn State's the leader here. I feel like Penn State wants him, and if they get him back to campus, I think that that's a, you know, this is probably a February, March type thing, then then they got an opportunity to seal the deal. So I like where Penn State stands. I'm kind of buying what Bill Green is selling there, Um, and I think Devontae Smith can be a really good player. Yeah, Smith out of Cincinnati, he picked up offers last week alone from Penn State, Northwestern, Oklahoma, and West Virginia, according to his 24-7 sports profile. So yeah, a, a player that I would assume is viewed on the rise right now. Sean, I don't know if there's anything else that we left hanging from the recruiting stuff. I think we addressed it pretty well. 
but but again, four weeks left here. You're going to see a lot of attention shifting towards the 2021, even the 2022 class in our coverage of recruiting on 24-7 sports. But uh, Penn State still has some work to do. I wanted to quickly uh, give a shout-out. I don't know if he listens, uh, but Devin Willock uh, suffered a, a pretty significant injury, it would seem, um, in a game on Saturday for his high school squad. Had to leave uh, on, on kind of a... Uh, got carted out, I guess you could say. Nice ovation from from the the fans and the cheerleaders are in attendance. We saw some stuff pop up on social media from that. Uh, but just saying, a, a Penn State commit. Uh, we'll see where it, it goes from here from him from a medical uh, purpose. But no high school player wants to see their career come to a close like that. Yeah, and it's, it was unfortunate that was a blowout, and he was still in the game. And you know, you, you obviously want to play till the end as a high school football player. He's since had surgery. He says it went well. Don't know the, the the prognosis or how long he'll be out, but it, it's probably going to take a while for a 350-some-pound high school uh, senior to, to to heal. So we'll see what happens. Devin Willick, I mean, this is not not a guy that you expected to play early in his career anyway, so I don't think it's going to uh, impact much in terms of you know when he gets here or what he has to do when he gets here. But all the best to him because it, it from from everybody that was around there, it didn't look good, it didn't sound good. Um, hopefully, he can you know, get on the right track and, and get that thing healed up as, as quickly as possible. Willick, one of 28 players verbally committed to Penn State in the 2020 recruiting cycle. Uh, we'll have some finality to that group beginning in a month, as previously stated. For now, we'll keep the focus on the season and Penn State heading to Ohio State later this week. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, we'll be back with our predictions, a further breakdown of the Buckeyes and Nittany Lions matchup. Sean, any final thoughts before uh, you switch back into father father mode and, and get off the podcast? Nope, not really. I apologize. I dropped my phone earlier, so that loud bang that you heard, that was me. Um, but no, other than that, I guess we'll be back at it tomorrow. Um, it's my fault for for bumping this back a day. So if you want to tweet at Tyler, that's you know you can do that. But it's my <laughs> fault. So, but thanks for joining us on the Lions twenty four seven podcast for Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz, and we'll we'll see you later this week. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.